Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Listen to Matt Levy and Mark Rossi as they put their cinema studies degrees to good use and induct the best movies into their own Hall of Fame. Roll the camera. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Doing good, man. It's good to be back together. Yeah, I know. These these big lulls. I'm sorry for the fans and I'm sorry for you and me out there, but it's good to be back talking about another classic film. Classic is right. And it was it would have been more relevant if we got to it when we initially did, but this has a way of delaying things. Yeah, no, things out of out of our controls delayed this recording. It is, I say still somewhat relevant. Yeah, uh, as it says so. As it's still in the top people's minds is in this past year, looking back at 2022. But we are talking about today, Mark, the 1994 black and white comedy written by and directed by Kevin Smith, which is his future directorial debut, the film Clerks. So when I first bring up 1994 and Clerks, what comes to mind? The Budget famously, I think I believe it's twenty seven thousand five hundred seventy five dollars, all on credit cards. The movie that eventually launched the podcasting empire of Kevin Smith, New Jersey. You just think of Jersey, the love affair Kevin Smith has, the launch of the Viewers Universe, and also just like a a, sto- a story and a movie between the making of it and the film itself and the style of it that kind of launched a lot of careers down the line because it, it really fed the notion that anyone can make a film if you have like the determination you could maybe will yourself into having a career in this industry that can kind of eat people up and spit them out yeah i think you and me talked about we talked about goodwill hunting right how matt damon and ben affleck kind of got together and wrote a film but this is even more so i mean that film had like the backing and the budget that even made this look that, that made that look like a huge film in comparison, getting guys like Robin Williams. I mean, Clarks, Absolutely. Th- these guys were filming this in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on, like you said, a 27,000 budget and they were maxing out credit cards. I believe Kevin Smith had to sell all of his comic book collections. So this is like they were doing whatever they could to scrape together a film and it looks like it, but it's still somehow a good movie. Yeah, when you strip away everything and you can only film the essentials, you end up getting this type of authenticity. And then it's really up to the person that's behind the camera and the person that's behind the pen to make a story that feels authentic because you're not going to be able to create this ridiculous, like fictional world. So when you're setting it in the real world and the story of these like 20 somethings that are kind of floating through their existence, the, the titular clerks. You have to have some type of authenticity in the way that they interact with each other and the way that the world interacts around them. And I think he does a really great job of capturing that. Yeah, I think authenticity is definitely the right word. I think the black and white choice to film it without color kind of lends itself to that where you're right. It feels like this is not some grand film about saving the world. It's not a film about some grand adventure. It's a really small movie. But the characters, the story has a realism to it, even though some outrageous things happen along the way. Many outrageous things happen along the way. It's not a typical day, necessarily. It's not necessarily a day in the life, but 
it, it has some moments, some scenes, some sketches, some parts of the dialogue feel small, like a conversation you and me would have, or just a couple of buddies be talking about, whether it's about Star Wars, right. whether it's about working a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's different things that I think people can relate to. Definitely. And like you said, because it's like 20 somethings, I think a younger crowd was definitely a lot of people were attracted to this film. Absolutely. The age of the cast there, the way that the dialogue kind of kind of strikes you, it's it's in your face. It that's that's kind of the thing about 20 somethings, right? As recent departures are becoming less and less recent by the day. <laughs> but you know, as re- fairly recent 20 somethings, like my t- early 20 something self and the same age that they're most of the characters and actors in this film are. Oh, you're like, I was completely brash and outspoken and vulgar in all these different ways and like in public places. So people were like, it's too vulgar. It's not realistic. I would just say it struck me as pretty realistic and towing that line where it's parody versus reality, but never really diving off the deep end in my mind like i've seen people even with like the most extremes like jay and silent bob but jay being particularly vulgar and outlandish i've seen like hundreds of jays throughout my life in different yeah i think the characters i mean even if you just look at the two leads you talk about dante and randall yeah and great great characters based on kevin smith all these characters are based on him and his friends Right. But these two characters, their conversations, there's something, I think, again, authentic, authentic about the way they speak to one another, where it feels real. It feels like a bunch of just kind of losers, a bunch of nobodies just having a conversation, whether it is, again, about Star Wars, whether it is about who they're dating and their their, their relationships or, right. their, or their jobs. There's something to that that feels like there is based on someone's life, which it, which it is, but there's something to that that is relatable to whether you're a teenager looking up to this, whether you're around their same age, or if you're a little older looking back on something like this, there's something relatable to about it. Yeah, it definitely captures something there that in your youth, you're kind of wrapped up into your own importance and mm-hmm. everything you say is the most important thing in the world. If you don't, if you ever doubt that being a thing, just check on like any social media, like Twitter, everyone <laughs> thinks their thoughts are the most important. So there's... Anytime you, you're outside of it and then you just kind of for a second think about it, it pulls you right back into, oh, yeah, you definitely have those conversations like about movies for us. I think that's what probably why this movie sticks with us more than anything else is just having conversations on the ethics of contractors on the Death Star. Like, that's <laughs> that's that's gold, man. That's that's absolute gold. It's definitely some brilliant. So the dialogue is what makes this film. I mean, the characters are great. The story is great. But people, there's lines of dialogue that are just memorable and quotable. And we'll, we'll start with the plot. You said before, you have to think about New Jersey. This takes place at the Quick Stop Groceries in Leonardo, New Jersey. And it's about these clerks, about these two guys that work at this. It's like a quick stop. It's like a quick, you get some cigarettes, a little bodega, deli, it's like that type of thing, sort of. And then next door is the movie rental place, which anyone who grew up in the 80s or 90s can relate to a VHS rental store. Like there's just something memorable about that too. Oh, that that was like my my favorite in the 
part of like the watch rewatching the movie and also the most heartbreaking part because i remember like the the corner store uh, mom and pop oh, video yeah. store before i even went to a blockbuster which like increasingly few people know about which is even before the library started doing right it. exactly and oh god it just it's just like it hits a, a certain like sense of nostalgia something about walking around a blockbuster mm-hmm. or a hollywood video or any of those places and then talking to maybe someone who works there. Hey, what do you recommend? Or seeing the yeah. new release area. There was something about renting a video. And anyone who's young enough that, that doesn't recall this and now they just stream, there's something you missed mm-hmm. out on. Oh, that's, there's a different feel to it. When you're scrolling, it feels like a chore. But when you yeah. were walking through the aisles, picking something out, it felt like a pleasure, like an adventure. And then you could always like pick out different movie snacks that you wouldn't otherwise pick out. And it made the entire experience a lot more fun. Yeah, I still think there's improvements we made for streaming where maybe they look, they show you a front and back of a box. Maybe you can right. get a quick like synopsis. I just that'd be great. I feel like there's still a better way they can do it, but I digress. There was something great about seeing them working at their at their at their respective jobs, mm. hating their respective jobs, but realizing there's like part of it is about their relationship as 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 friends. But part of it is about, I feel like when you work a job, most people, the majority, I'm speaking for people here, most people don't enjoy what they do for work. Oh, yeah. And I think by the end of these films, they're kind of realizing it's like, it's like what you make of it. And like, if you decide you want to be miserable to your jerk at your job and say, I'm not supposed to be here and come in on your sick day. Well, it's like, it's up to you if you want to like make the best of it that day. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely more people dissatisfied with their job than satisfied with their job. Where right. They're on the, the side of the work to live instead of living to work. Right. So it, it's 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 very relatable in that sense. But the overarching like theme of the movie that they end up kind of tackling is like basically just framing your mentality of right. of dealing with the mundane days. Right. And either feeling sorry for yourself about it or kind of just seeing yourself as like a cog in the machine and then making the best of your life outside of it, not letting that part of it define you. Yeah. I think that that's something that a lot of people can relate to. And then Dante, who I would say is probably the main character of these movies. He is kind of in a pivotal spot in his life where I believe he's dating this one woman who we, I don't know even if I want to say on the recording, what, what, she, what she's, what she admits to. And, mm-hmm. uh, but she's a, a perennial triples hitter. There you go. That's the best way to put it, but he's caught up on his ex Caitlin. He's torn between Veronica and Caitlin and he's in a pivotal spot right now. And he feels like one path might lead him one way and the other right. path might lead him another way. And he just wants to make sure like between his job, his relationships, he's doing the right thing. And he's kind of making it seem like, putting the weight of the shoulders, the weight of the mm-hmm. world on his shoulders. And that's where kind of Randall, who kind of doesn't care about anything. He's kind of got no, no cares, no responsibilities. He's just there kind of living life and can kind of put some perspective for Dante, who's kind of like overly stressed about his concerns. Right. Well, the same thing along those same lines, just that it's just that Dante cons- consistently has just a woe is me attitude about everything. Yeah. He has the woe is me attitude about I'm not even supposed to be here today. The entire movie. Yep. He has the woe is me about my girlfriend's 
hit 37 triples. He has the woe is me about deciding between the two girls. I have a girlfriend, but she's, she's fine. She's fine. She's not great. I deserve something better, possibly. Uh, while Randall is completely content and knows he's not the perfect employee, but couldn't think of like a better situation than working next door to your best friend, getting to like occasionally rag watch movies, rag on customers, and then just leave the store and hang out with your best friend. And he owns it. The difference between the two of them is that the entire movie, like Randall just owns who he is and what he enjoys. And Dante likes to frame himself as the victim and never takes ownership that he does a lot of the same things that Randall does until Randall finally explodes on him. Yeah. And I would love to know, Mark, who is the landlord? that owns his property. That's their boss. (laughs) Like very, he must have like multiple businesses that he's not very much focused on the profits and losses and that the employees obeying rules. I'd be very curious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're hiring, you're hiring bosses that take off for uh, trips to Vermont, some type of snow mountain magnate on the side or something. Who knows? Right. But to be landlord and i don't think that's necessarily out of no it's true and especially probably if it takes place in the 90s right um, absolutely it wasn't like today where you can follow and watch everything with tech and people are kind of looser back then i mean the the fact that the movie got made like in the wee hours on location is kind of indicative of that yeah no it's kind of like i know it's kind of ironic it's kind of irony on the whole situation that they were able to film it there Hits it on the nose. You didn't even realize. (laughs) So one of your favorite things has to be that they closed the store down to play hockey on the roof of the building, Mark. Is that like a dream for you? Some roller hockey? Oh, yeah, definitely. Shutting down the middle of workday for a nice nice game (laughs) of hockey. And on top of that, Dante's wearing a Penguins jersey. Come on, man. That's that's my heaven right there. Yeah, I figured as much. But rounding out the characters, we talked about Randall, who's kind of like, enjoying living life to his best. Dante, who, like you said, kind of makes a big deal, a big stink about everything. And then you have outside, we have our favorite drug dealers, Jay and Silent Bob. Mark, these characters are probably more iconic, I think, than the leads of the film. They absolutely are. And they might be the reason that a lot of the viewers universe kind of took off. They became like the cult characters at the very forefront of this cult classic movie. When you see them, you think white knockoff Cheech and Chong. Yeah, but totally. They, he, I think what Kevin Smith does kind of brilliantly over and over, and I think it ends up being shamelessly self-indulgent, but in the best way to me, is that he saves the smartest and greatest nuggets of wisdom for himself to deliver a silent Bob. Like one of my favorite lines in the movie is like a lot of girl, like you have a lot of people have girlfriends, but not a lot of them bring them lasagna at work. I'm like, oh man, that's like profound. It's such a <laughs> way. But he gives himself like one of those all the time in chasing Amy's got a great the the basically titular monologue where he talks about chasing Amy. He always gives himself like this really great short thing where you're like, oh man, Silent Bob is brilliant. Yeah, he's watching everything happen, but he mm-hmm. he's smarter than he lets on. No, absolutely. I think that's a, a brilliant piece of storytelling for yourself to reserve all these great bits for the silent character. They represent the the potheads, Jay and Silent Bob, but Jerry is very much the pothead that's wild and crazy and dancing and and he's kind of like your stereotypical a pothead. Right. But, but Silent Bob is also the other stereotype with the one that gets very, very mm-hmm. quiet, and that actually becomes his name. So there's there's a little tongue in cheek there that there's always that person that gets high, but he's just very quiet, becomes almost a mute. 
And right. it's funny how those two characters become almost like that stereotypical 90s pothead and both two very different characters. Yeah. I mean, if you think about a lot of duos, though, you always have the one person that's like the showman that's very showy, that's always outwardly expressive. And then you have the other one that's a little bit more quiet, like Penn and Teller. It's a great contrast. Yeah. Yeah. People love the contrast. Even you talk about like early on, like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, like you have one that's a little more brash and outspoken and more of the showman and you have the other person's a little more reserved that's how they give themselves their balance so like all the iconic duos you just happen to have someone that's role in the duo is in his name as silent bob right so these films the first one being the 1994 film then we have two sequels one as recent as this year and i'd say they're three pretty different films because it kind of hits them at three different points in their life right this one probably being the consensus best. Well, it's still the original film. It's the OG film. People give it credit. Right. Where does the, where does it stand for you as far as the quality of each of the films? How do you kind of go toe to toe with them? I kind of go back to this movie as the seminal version of the story. But as as we kind of are aging, then when I I revisit Clerks too, I, I relate to some things a little bit more as it's more of a love letter to his 30s and then this most recent movie is like a love letter to his 40s so in i'd say it's very indicative of me agreeing with the storytelling it's like oh yeah i i get it i get some of these things a little bit more yeah kevin kevin smith's writing in these films is very personal and i would say some of his other films less so where i feel like he does write films that are a little more adventurous and fantastical and it taps more into his love for like superheroes and adventure. But these films are very much, I feel like, based on what's happening, context in his own life. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. The third that. one being pretty, I think, right on the nose as far as certain events in his life. Mm-hmm. The second one, for some reason, when it came out, I thought it was hilarious. It was just, I feel like it was on the nose as far as like the humor that I wanted at that point in my life. Right. And I, I feel like for me, this is the cl- the clerks, the original 90s film is probably still the best because of what it accomplished and what it did. But I think the second one, there's something about it that I enjoy. Again, maybe it is our us getting older and we're in that more in that state, but I, I click with it more now. Not that it's a better film, but I click right. with it more now. Oh, absolutely. It's a it's really a, it's really funny. It's yeah. it's outlandish and you're adding Rosario Dawson who's Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, they could never in a million years have gotten a Rosaria Dawson type, whether it was her or any other actor or actress when they were making this original film. Absolutely. You're just, he was just recruiting friends to to film this movie, which is why this is such a, a remarkable achievement that you have all these different people that you just kind of recruited and like a, a call to arms for your friend making a movie. And you end up finding people that are able to deliver really great performances. Like Jeff Anderson is phenomenal as Randall. And he's just some dude that Kevin Smith knew. He's like, Hey man, he's can excellent. You, can you do this? And he's kind of him and, and, and Dante, like Randall and Dante kind of hand off equally. I would say throughout the three movies being like the emotional heartbeat of the movie. I've never pretty watched equally. Pretty I've, never, equally. I've never watched either of them in interviews. So I wonder how much they are like, the parts they're playing. I don't know if Randall and Dante 
come out more because of their own personalities or if it's just right. written this way. I don't know if they're acting that well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen them in, in real life to know that are they like this. Right. I haven't I haven't seen a ton. From my understanding, I feel like Jeff Anderson is cl- closer yeah. to his character than than maybe he'd like to admit. But he does a great job in this movie. I think it's a find. Even like Jason Mewes being Jay. Oh, that's, that's I mean, for anyone. Him. It's incredible when yeah. he when he goes into Jay. It's amazing how the performance. It's him just you know, kind of just turned yeah. up to eleven. Right. He's just he's just channeling a type of energy. But that's like, yeah, that's really what they were trying to portray, and that's the type of energy that kind of again gave this movie a character that you can have as the front of that cult following to kind of push this forward. Now the and then Kevin's- he even kind of peels back the layers in this movie and the other movies jay's not like a completely one note character he has some profound wisdom prior to silent bob really dropping like the truth bomb on on yeah they definitely develop his character a bit over the other clerk films and some of the other obviously movies that jay has shown up in jay and bob strikes back and other films so there is the larger kevin smith universe I don't know if you're a fan of all of them. Some of them is this, where would this rank for you? The clerks film in his universe. Are there films you like more than this? I love chasing Amy. I think chasing Amy is like my number one in the viewers universe, but this is pretty high. This is like right there, but chasing Amy is definitely my number one. Yeah. Chasing Amy is an excellent film. I, I would put that up there with the clerk, with the original clerks film as well. I'm a big fan of Dogma. I think Dogma has some Dogma's fantastic. really good scenes that that are like standout scenes that are some of his best work. Yeah, it's 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 hard because like we've said, you look at Kevin Smith through the years and some of his films are stronger than others. Like Jersey Girl, probably not one of the best, mm-hmm. but for what it's trying to do, I think it does a decent enough job of it with Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck. I think it-, it right. It kind of sets out to do what it's trying to do. And also some of the actors like he gets, like you just did it. Yes. Chasing Amy, you got Joey, Joey Lauren Adams and that you get Rosaria Dawson and some of the other films you get Jason Lee showing up here and there, Ben Affleck. I mean, he's, he's made himself a lot of good allies over the years, Kevin Smith. Yeah. He has a lot of, a lot of very famous friends, but the funny part is that thinking about this now, like Ben Affleck is a super famous friend early on as like we've gone over in another podcast like kevin smith was the famous friend they needed to try to get them the lifeline that made their movie happen for goodwill hunting so it's funny how things kind of turn yeah no it's really interesting because he says to this day he says he can really call ben and and ben affleck will do him a favor because he they kind of have this connection that goes years back but it's it's really interesting to look back at his filmography and you see it all started here Mallrats is, right. I think, another one that it takes some turns. It ends up being mm-hmm. kind of weird with the whole like love mall triangle thing at the game show at the end. Oh, yeah. Zach and Miri make a porno is not his. He didn't No, He did write it. I think Cop Out's the only one he didn't write. I always get mixed up. Yeah, I think Cop Out was the one he, that he didn't. That he directed. Yeah, but it's interesting looking at his filmography and and where clerks has consistently always been like that, like steady, steady hands that he's shown and clerks three just came out this year. I think you said you were, you were a big fan of it. Yes. I, I think 
what where we've kind of been going over throughout our conversation here is how Dante is Kevin Smith, essentially, right? The fictionalized version of him that includes most of his experiences. And because of that, I think that's why he takes this particular task of writing to an extremely personal level and, and holds it kind of near and dear the way that he portrays Dante and his story. And he had a very specific story he wanted to tell. And he's not opposed to, if you know, Kevin Smith, the way that he loves Marvel and all these different comic book movies, he's not opposed to fan service. So there's a lot of fan service in clerks three, but I'm kind of along the same lines that if it makes you feel something, then I don't think there's anything wrong with that type of fan service. And I think he delivers an emotional gut punch of a story that really kind of ties up Randall's Randall's story pretty well. Yeah. I think when you look at the trajectory of some of these- Dante's story. Dante's. Well, yeah, both as well. I think when you look at the trajectory of some of these characters and- so much time has passed between 1994 and 2022. Right. So you have to try and look at it as, yes, this is a story. This is a fictional story, but you want to make sure that the, the characters are doing things that you think they would do. And you got to suspend disbelief. It's still, it's still film. And overall, I enjoyed the movie and I enjoyed some of the fan service things that they threw in there. But I just felt like the third film, I think, tried too hard as he's getting older to make it more emotional and to tap into more dramatic moments. And I feel like they revisited too many similar themes that I felt like we dealt with and we hashed out the end of the second clerk. So I have mm-hmm. my personal gripes with it. Right. And maybe like you said, maybe I'll look back at this home when I'm in my forties or fifties and get whole new appreciation for it. But I left it being like, I thought it was the weakest of the three for me. I'd still agree with that. Yeah. But yeah. not to say it's a bad film at all. I think it's very challenging to rewrite mm-hmm. characters 10 or 15 years later and then kind of make it interesting. And they kind of re it's using, like you said, fan service. It's, it's refilming basically the first movie. I mean, it's retelling the original story and right. the original stories. Right. Absolutely. It is. And I think with that movie, personally, the first two acts of the film are fine. The third act of the film is really what ties it together. And I think that's also why I have it maybe rated a little bit higher than logically it should be like logical brain mark wouldn't necessarily <laughs> rate it as highly but when you stick the landing then you forgive a lot of the other parts before it and a lot of the other gripes kind of disappear as long as you close out the story in what feels like a satisfying or i don't know if satisfying is necessarily i guess satisfying yeah I, even if it is in in tragedy it, i think it was a satisfying conclusion so you're more willing to overlook things as a result of that yeah, I think as they refilmed a lot of scenes from the original movies, they start to tug on some of the nostalgia strings that we had yeah. for the original movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's almost a cheat a little bit. But mm-hmm. for, for us fans of this original movie, this, this movie was impactful for a lot of us as, as me being film lovers and us being probably we were eight when this movie came out. But I didn't see this movie until I was probably if I had to guess 13, 14 or 15. I've had to guess. Yeah, around the same time for me. So I, I was at that point growing and growing my interest and love for film and a movie like this, when you are a lo- young lover of film, there's an appreciation to how it was made, how this guy started his career and what he's gone on to do just because of his passion and love for film as well. Right. Absolutely. He's, he's like an underdog story and kind of continuing 
to to his own humor about it like he he loves to make jokes about how he was like one of the first on the podcast scene is he's got just watched people fly by him he's watched like joe rogan take off into getting like a quarter of a billion dollars and he's like i gave him advice on what setups to do and what servers to use and now he's got like a quarter of billion dollars and i'm still here making around the same amount of money but he's a that's what made it, the, the movie and his story kind of tie together as being so relatable and something to kind of root for yeah no i agree with you i think there's something to anyone that loves film i think can relate to a lot of what this movie the original movie was trying to do and did very successfully it's definitely still a cult niche film i think it's something that's kind of hard to recommend to your parents right i I think it's still for the right type of person I think my my wife would probably hate this movie if she watched it, but for the right type of person and there's a good amount of people, there's an appreciation to, like you said, the dialogue, like you said, some of the quotes, some of the characters, and some of the the, the story elements that I think are relatable to a large percentage of people. Yeah, I think it's a phenomenally told story, right? It's even if it's on the extremes of it, it is a day in the life, and just carrying how there are mundane activities in between. It's not necessarily going to be like hard hitting events every single like second of a day, even if it's a a crazy day that ends with like something necrophilic happening in a bathroom. (laughs) Right. But it's it's not necessarily going to be something wild and happening the entire time. You'll have that crazy part of the day that you'll remember. Like if we talk, if we were to talk to Dante and Randall during the timeline of Clerks 3, they'll likely have remembered parts of the day, but not all of it. I mean, that maybe is the strike you'd have against Clerk 3. like, they really remembered that day very well. But yeah, there's some like, there's the great conversations, but the nothing conversations that, in, like in other movies, say the nothing conversations always mean the most. And that's how our lives kind of are. That's portrayed very well here. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I think looking back at this film, my favorite parts aren't exactly the big like story moments. It's some of the small nothing conversations when he says things like all Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets when they're talking about different things about Star Wars right. or they're talking different customers come in the stores, the interactions with some of the customers. When they come to the movie store, and they start asking about different movies. They say like, well, do you have that one with the guy who was in that movie that was out last year? Yeah, that was faint. That's so great. And everyone can relate to that because we've all been like, oh, what's that movie with that girl? And she mm-hmm. does the thing. And and it's yeah. so funny, some of, the, some of the small interactions. And I think you're right. I think it is the nothing moments, for, for me at least, that make this mil- movie just like absolutely memorable. Yeah, it makes it super relatable. And everyone that's ever worked retail can recall customers like, how much is it? And they're standing right in front of the display that tells them exactly how much it is. And you have to try to not explode. You're like, I want to keep this job. I need the money. I want to keep this job. And that's just, that's a moment that everyone like laughs out loud at because everyone can relate. Yeah. I think there's, there's something to making characters and a story that is relatable. And we haven't always done that. Some movies are very fantastical and we like, we're envious of wanting to be somebody in a movie and they're doing some, right amazing journey and then you get a movie like this where it's like i i kind of have experienced that i've lived that i've done that and and there's something special about that too right there's that so that's this is like a a great example of there's 
movies to fit all different types and all of them can be great in their own way. Like we wax poetic about the MCU and that's not going to stop anytime soon about kind of just nestling yourself into this universe that's been built over dozens of movies and properties and TV shows and how great that is. But then there's also something really nice about nestling yourself into the small little convenience store in Leonardo, New Jersey, and just having this picture of a day of a a life of someone that could have just been a friend of yours or a group of your friends in your twenties, just kind of shooting, shooting the shit and talking trash about customers and trying to get through a day at a job you don't really like and doing that with your friends. Yeah. And this one day in the life happens to be a little bit more fantastical because like a guy takes a magazine and dies in a bathroom and then a woman comes and has sex with that body. So there's, there's There's definitely, there's elements that aren't everyday things, but I worked (laughs) at a movie theater where like the movie theater went on fire when I was there. These type of fantastical days happen. Absolutely. And as if to prove my point, I remember when the fire happened, don't remember much else about the day, (laughs) but there were plenty of other conversations that as I was having them, like that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Talking like coworkers throughout the day. Yeah. And we always wish sometimes that people had microphones or recordings on while we're just having regular conversations. Well, this movie does that for a lot of it. And I I don't know if it's 40% of the film or 50% of the film really has no impact on any of the story or any of the characters, but that's what right. makes this movie different. And I feel like there's very few writers. I feel like Tarantino can be very wordy in his dialogue and some of his stuff mm-hmm. has no actual impact on the story, but you're learning more about the characters based on this nothing conversation. Right. Absolutely. One highlight of the movie that I didn't talk about, because we'd mentioned the the roof hockey scene it's like one of the greatest villain moments. It's like kind of Biff from Back to the Future adjacent is he takes the only ball that they have that they're using for that game and he just launches it into basic, I don't know, basically to Tatooine, like off of this roof and the game's over. It's just like when Biff took that ball from the kids, like you want this ball, go get it. He throws it like in, into that house on the roof. Oh, such an amazing villain move. It's fantastic. There's definitely some great moments. I'm glad you shared that one. The hockey scene is great. I'm not even supposed to be here. 37 is the number? 37. 37. It was 36, but 37, including him. Right, including him. Can't forget about yourself. For me, one of the lines that I always hark back on just in life is Randall says, you know, this job would be great if it just wasn't for the customers. Oh, yeah. And that oh, line absolutely. is just great because you can relate to most jobs and agree that like you enjoy what you do, but sometimes the customers get in the way, but the customers are the job. That's where Dante right. just gives him a look. Like he just turns like, what, what do you mean? Like <laughs> this place wouldn't exist if not for the customers. Yeah, exactly. But that's like the, the constant struggle that you have. It's like the jobs wouldn't be that bad one for these like terrible customers that you get. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's relatable. And that's what, again, it's nice about some of those lines. So as far as its impact, as far as how this movie has aged, how it is considered a cult classic, do you think this movie is accessible, watchable, enjoyable today? I think it still is. There's going to be elements of it that are harder to like kind of get. Obviously, the video store being a thing might be weird for a bunch of people, but the over the the overarching thing is just like a relationship of two people that are kind of like rudderless and directionless in life and figuring things out as they go 
flying by the seat of their pants through their rather mundane New Jersey life, I think is still really relatable as well. So it's, it's like you said, it's not going to be for everyone, but there's definitely an audience of young people that would relate to this still. Yeah. I think not seeing certain technology is, is not a big deal to me. I don't think cell phones, the appearance or disappearance of them really affects a movie like this. Pay phones, I don't think that really is, is a big deal. Like you said, the, the video rental store next door, I don't think those things really hinder the, the film or the experience. I think the movie's aged well. I think it's the dialogue and the characters that are still relevant today that make this film enjoyable. It's in like the national film registry. It got added to like a couple of years back. So this movie is significant and it's kind of like that indie journey that we've talked about. This is, we've talked about movies that they didn't know there'd be hits. We've talked about movies that like some guy wrote, but I feel like this is like a whole other level of like this man, Kevin Smith, made this movie, like you said, he maxed out all of his credit cards on a hope and a dream in the middle of the night on like one hour of sleep. And again, for people out there that love movies, that love film, like there's nothing really more inspiring than a guy writing and directing and funding his own film. Right. So the thing about it, I think kind of just piggybacking on what you're saying is that so many of us that watch movies and love movies think I could do that. I could make a movie. And this is someone that thought that and put his literally put his money where his mouth was and took all of his money and bet on himself there. And for, for like a while, when this movie was not yet distributed or getting wide release was convinced. He's like, Oh, I made a horrible mistake, but at least I'm going to have the memories of making this film. And I have this film that I'll be able to pop in and just tell my friends, Hey, I did a thing. Yeah. I mean, he risked everything and obviously it paid off. But I'm sure there's a thousand other stories where it doesn't pay off. So it's right. it's really cool. One thing we didn't mention is, is the soundtrack. I think they said they spent most of their budget actually trying to get a couple of known recognizable bands. I think uh, they got a lot of like alternative rock and grunge and punk bands. They had Bad Religion, right? Love Among Freaks. They had Alice in Chains and Soul Asylum. So like some pretty cool stuff. And they said like of their $27,000 budget, like a good chunk of it went to like securing some music. And that was important for anyone that grew up like in the seventies or eighties and made a film here in the nineties, like the soundtrack was important to a film. Yeah. It was another way to kind of hook people in, but it's also ends up being kind of another way to defray some of the cost. If you have a soundtrack that really takes off and does well. So it's important in so many ways in marketing in money making, but also just to establish a feel for the film, like we've gone over ad nauseum throughout our podcast. And that's not going to end anytime soon. So don't be relieved. <laughs> we fully plan on diving into soundtracks every time. I'd say the the maybe the thing that aged the most is the fact that Jay and Silent Bob have a giant boom box mark that people today probably don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. In the in the vein of do the right thing, like a little yep. radio Rahim sized boom box. I didn't. I did enjoy that. That that carried forward into into Clerks too. Absolutely, that was two thousand six. He's still rocking that. I love boombox with the cassette tapes. I had an Iowa Iowa one back in the day. It was great, Mark. Oh yeah, yeah. I had a we had a Sony one that my sister had that I always stole. But awesome. I love boombox. Absolutely. So, Mark, anything else that we failed to mention that you wanted to add before we close up on Clerks? Before we say we're not working today and close up shop. 
you know, I'm sure there's something that I missed that's going to haunt my dreams later, but we, I can accurately say we weren't even supposed to be here today because we were <laughs> supposed to have done this weeks ago. We so, absolutely were. So yeah, as the I, old saying, better late than never. Right. No, absolutely. But if I did forget anything, it's probably because we're, we're not even supposed to be here today. That's right. So the film Clerks, 1994, added to our Hall of Fame. We, we do plan on getting back uh, to getting you guys some more content. We know it's been a little dry, but we are going to pick up hopefully in the new year. So we hope you guys enjoy this. It should be coming out right around the after holidays, after the holiday season. So let us know what you guys think. Let us know what you want to hear for next year. And I know me and Mark have discussed some films that we would like to talk about. We have about a dozen or so ready to go. But if you guys have any special requests, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of movies that we're looking forward to seeing and a lot of conversations we're looking forward to having about movies that have already been out. So more to come for sure. More to come. So we hope to see you guys all in the new year back with us on the Hall of Fame movie podcast. Mark, thank you as always for joining me. Where can people out there? I'm on Twitter until it explodes at Ursus Fidelis TV and also on Instagram at that same moniker and twitch.tv slash Ursus Fidelis. (laughs) Yes, Twitter any day right now, guys. And it's been gone for weeks now, but any day it can just absolutely explode and terminate so yeah just make sure you don't promote other socials on there that's a no-no <laughs> so guys check out our back catalog on all the podcast places and then also check out our instagram page where we will be posting all the upcoming content for our pod so thank you guys watch some good films any good christmas films you like people to watch mark anything that you personally like big fan of die hard die hard's excellent i actually saw a poll up last week saying what's a better christmas film Home Alone or Die Hard? Oh, that's tough. I love Home Alone too. Yeah. Uh, and also, I love Home Alone also, but I do also love Home Alone too. Two is also. good in New York. It's also yeah. actually a fine. There's film. a lot of just brain trauma. Like I feel bad for the the bricks, the wet slash sticky bandits. <laughs> they they're dealing with a lot of head trauma, but you know uh, it's it's fun for the kids, I guess. Pesci is is at his absolute best in those films. Well, he absolutely is. Yeah. Now, so there's some good recommendations there. So you have Die Hard, which is absolutely a Christmas film. And then you have Home Alone or Home Alone 2. So guys, watch some good Christmas films. Have a happy holiday season. And we'll see you guys in the new year. Yep. Happy Merry, everybody. From Mark and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame movie podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame pod or email us at the Hall of Fame pod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time. Problem. And I, I listen, I respect them like knowing, let me get some good people involved. Let's cut the mm-hmm. cord. Let's start over. But it's like almost too soon for like a couple of generations of people to be like, all right, we're going to get another Superman, another Batman and another Wonder Woman. Like it's almost yeah. too soon. Yeah. Especially because the pe- the issues people had weren't with those particular castings. No, the actual Gal Gadot is great. Yeah. Henry Cavill's great. Mm-hmm. I don't even think, I mean, I didn't see the movie. I don't think The Rock is obviously bad casting. No. I, the other, like, the thing was, you you took the time, and it was with the approval of the heads, like, the bigwigs, to film this thing with Superman and reintroduce him, and then you're like, yeah, he's not coming back. So much manipulation. Like, oh my it's God. so dumb. It's like, do, does he not know that, like, 
the fans exist. I because I saw him like kind of battling and being like a douche, like James Gunn can be. He's on the internet every day talking to people. He just can't stop. He can't can't help help himself. himself. And it's like, not that Foggy's the only one, but it's like, do you you think, could you see Kevin Foggy just going onto the internet and trolling people after? James Gunn has a partner in this. Like that's Peter or something. I think his name is. I'm not sure. He's just really handling the business side, but it's really all on him creating. But you don't see anyone else like going on the internet and Mm -hmm. saying, I just, I understand wanting to like connect with your fans, but. At some point, <laughs> just stop, man. Yeah, you're hurting more than helping. Well, it's, it's a perfect connection to what we're doing. It's like Kevin Smith used to engage more on the internet, also, but then he discovered he's like, I don't want toxic. I don't want to be part of this part of the internet. You're dealing with the five, ten percent vocal. They're the loudest, but yeah, they're not your. They're not your. The, your no. fans for the most part. No, like you can make a lot of money with your movie. And the movie could be trash. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know that Avatar is going to be good or bad, but it's going to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I can relate this to video games. Like the new Pokemon game is getting like critically, like just beat by everyone on like forums and mm-hmm. critics. It's like technically a mess, but it's sold like yeah. 20 million copies already. It's, it's going to. Yeah. It's sold like hotcakes and yeah. like tons of influential and movies people play are like, it. Yeah. Movies are like that too. So it's mm-hmm. like. I think they just, I agree with you. I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. And I don't think James Gunn's necessarily the wrong guy or the bad guy for it. I just think the timing of it, like you said, is just weird. The timing is weird. And I'm not convinced he's like a genius. No. Like, so what are his, what are, what's his claim to fame right now? It's like the Guardians of the Galaxy and he did the Suicide Squad. And when he did the Suicide Squad, he did the same exact formula for Guardians of the Galaxy. He's like, oh, I like all these like little known properties. Like, yeah, that's good if you're making just a film or a small part of a larger universe. But when you have to build the entire universe, you have to get the main parts of the universe right and have those established in as givens before you're like, oh, I'll just take all this, these plucky people and put them together on a team. Well, what's going to happen is, I think he said he wants to start with a young Superman. Yeah. And the problem is, I don't think the WB or whoever's in charge is going to be patient enough mm-hmm. to let him develop multiple films leading up to these people joining us together and that was kind of their problem the first time around is they just couldn't wait to do justice league the rumor of the earliest pitch is that he's it's not an origin story right in his mind but it's the early days of him as a reporter at the daily planet which you're like but that's an origin story i know i know just because you're not seeing him crash into earth and be like picked up by his adopted parents. It doesn't mean it's not an origin story. It's it's unless it's really, really good. It's hard to go from. I mean, obviously the Christopher Reeves movies are now mm-hmm. decades old. Those are a long time ago. Brandon Ruth was a long time ago, but Henry mm-hmm. Cavill, we just got a cameo. Which yep. I didn't see. We still got a cameo from yep. a month ago, a cameo, a Twitter announcement, another video. And then a Twitter saying, sorry, I've been I'm like, not part uh, of this within a month. Sad news. Sad news. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. It's like whiplash following this stuff. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's amazing watching how you can bungle something so horribly. And then it Continually. like in the middle of all that is the Batgirl movie being shit canned, but canned. That, that's not James Gunn. That's no, just Warner Brothers fault. discovery being the worst. You're like, all right, this might be the worst merger that that's happened it'll definitely be entertaining in like the next month when they announce like they're gonna announce like phase one or their plans or what they have mm-hmm. they said they have like some sort of like game plan mm-hmm. 
I'll be interested. And if they want to sit, if they want to bring in Ben Affleck to direct one of the films. I don't know. I mean, I'll see. We have no other choice just, just to see what they, how right. they kind of dig their way out of this, but they're making it hard. Like you took all the likable parts of it and you've just taken all those fandoms and turned them against yourself. It's like, I mean, the one thing doing? they have going for them is like, maybe we'll get a good Green Lantern film. Maybe we'll get yeah. a good whatever other stories that have been completely different. I mean, Batman versus Superman, most people admit that movie's bad. Oh, it was pretty bad. <laughs> so I mean, it took it took another hour. I mean, that's the major criticism of the Snyder movies by me. Bill's ears are burning somewhere. That like you have to give him an extra hour to two hours to three hours to make a coherent story. It's like, oh yeah, the extended version's better. Sure. If you give someone like it's like if you give someone time to take a test and they fail like well we, we gave him an extra hour he passed it's like yeah but everyone else didn't get that extra hour right like it's, why do you need an extra hour to pass the test man right it's like when these shows now get these like 10 episode or eight episode miniseries it's a lot easier they say to tell a story than it is like in two hours or an hour and a half because it's right. hard to edit a coherent smart well-written film yeah but and then you have like stranger things where they're like we're not just only gonna we, give you one hour and a half, two hour episodes. Yeah, like two and a half hour episodes. Like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, it's great though. I loved it all. I no, I loved Stranger Things overall. That season still. But those episodes bro, where they could have been cut in half. Jesus Christ. I agree. Man. You want a like, break. It's like an I, t- I I told you before, I think you saw it, or like at when we were just talking about it, that it was just like an exercise in self-indulgence. Like those last two episodes, Jesus Christ, guys! And it's, it's good content, but like, caught a fucking scene. An <laughs> Jesus, hour, Christ. an hour should be the longest a streaming show should be because there's no commercial. I'll even show. like forgive it and say like an hour, hour 10, and a half, twenty yeah, max. Like you, know. you get over two hours for an episode. What is happening? 